This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Noble Knight, where Out of Print is available again. And listeners like you, thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links, and to our patrons who support us directly at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm, it looks like flying solo today. Tracy had to, to deal with some other stuff, and then Sam's internet is down because uh, he was going to to do a backup hosting, and I might be uh, flying on my own, it looks like. Uh, we'll see if Sam manages to resolve his technical issues and join us later. Uh, but in this episode, number 285, we're going to bash things with our sword in the most reverential way we can, because this episode's all about paladins. So... Joining us in this episode is the Tome Show's social media coordinator, which I'm sure is the title he's most proud of, right? Ishmael Alvarez. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> and uh, also with us is one of the co-hosts of the new Performance Check show on, that you'll see on the feed, a regular who uh, has appeared on other episodes as well, Jonathan Green. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Who, like what, stayed up late or woke up early or whatever to be here? What time is it? Uh, where you're staying at? up late this time around. Uh, it's only about one a.m., so not as not oh. as bad as some shows have been. <laughs> okay, good. So a few months ago, we asked for suggestions uh, over at Patreon.com from our patrons about what class we should look at next. At that time, it was between warlocks and paladins, and we went with warlocks because Aaron Evans is awesome, and she was available to talk about the class that she wrote a lot about. Then we decided that instead of digging into paladins next, we would do clerics, because the big question about paladins is, is how different are they from fighters and clerics? So we thought, hey, we should make sure we've talked about both fighters and clerics before we talk about paladins. But now, now, finally, we are here to talk about paladins. We're going to discuss why you should play them, how they work, and how to make them awesome. This is part five in our series, looking at the different classes of D&D. But before we dig into that, we need to mention the return of our sponsor, Noble Knight. Uh, if you don't know by now, Noble Knight has been our longest-running supporter, and it would be awesome if you would return to their love by heading over and buying yourself a game product, new or old. Our pick for this episode is Defenders of the Faith. It's an old third edition, what was called Splat Book. It's all about paladins and clerics. It's a great source of inspiration, whether it be finding some mechanical bits to modify to enhance your divine character in, in your, your game, whatever edition it is, or the descriptions of organizations and locations that are all pretty system neutral, especially since the book is only $7.50 if you buy the version in excellent condition you can also uh, that they currently have in stock. You can also go cheaper if you want a copy that's a little more beat up. You can check that out at Noble Knight and make sure to tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Support for the Tome Show comes from Noble Knight. From Noble Knight. Noble Knight? Knight. Knight? Thousands of tabletop gamers use a Noble Knight to sell new and out of print games and products at a discounted price. Noble Knight will also buy back the game products you aren't using anymore. NobleKnight.com, the brick and mortar online store where out of print is available again. Tell them the Tome Show sent you. I use Noble Knight. You do? I love it. It's trying to sound creepy there. All right, and now it's time to draw steel and charge forth in service of the gods as we talk about paladins. So, I want to talk about the description of paladins, like we've talked about the description of all the classes, but unlike any other, most other classes, I guess? Yeah, most other classes. Um, Paladins have a, a historical description that I think is worth exploring as well. I mean, like all the classes, you know, fighter, cleric, whatever, there's a, there's a history there, but it's generally so broad that it doesn't really mean anything. But a paladin, historically, is something really specific. Does anybody know enough about that to, to talk about it? Well, um, to the best of my knowledge, anyways, I know that they are attached to crusaders and templars and and the holy orders of knights that kind of sprang yeah. up from the crusades and so you you had a lot of uh knights who were trained by the church or were in favor of the church and and, and fought for holy causes and in the name of god obviously and so you had maybe certain specific people in history who 
people might point to as an example of a paladin, but more broadly, you would have the uh, Knights Templar, who were the the Holy Order of Knights, who later fell into disgrace. But they're probably the most prominent uh, example of of paladins, kind of in the wide brush. Yeah, and I think the, looking at the at least the two major order of of Crusader knights, right, uh, gives a nice hint as to where the paladin as a class came from. Because you got the Knights Templar, like you mentioned, which are sort of the defenders, right? They go along with the Crusaders to help protect them on their way to their crusade. Um, but then you also have maybe a little less famously is the Knights Hospitallers, which are sort of the the medics, the combat medics that would go along with the Crusades as well. Uh, and this is all, of course, my my vague recollection. I didn't do a lot of in depth uh, extra historical research into this. I focused my time and attention on the classes um, uh, in pre- preparation for this. But but those two uh, sort of stand out to me because I feel like those two give a historical context for what might have been kept in mind when the paladin class was being was originally being created way back in in the day right because it's it sort of serves those two roles it's kind of a protector it's kind of a healer but it's also you know a knight so if you go yeah, that yeah so if you, if you go back uh the the paladin is a is a class that has been around for a long time um i know i started playing in second edition i don't think if i remember right i don't think there's a first edition version of paladin is that right i can't recall if there is um because my understanding is oh go ahead i was gonna say i think that they were introduced as like a well no and i might be wrong about this but i feel like they were introduced as a kit class at one point Mm. but maybe maybe my uh my history check fails me here jonathan you were gonna say yeah, so originally a paladin, it was an AD&D fighter subclass. I think it was called the ca- Cavalier at the time. It was one of those mm, um, unearthed arcana ones, I think, very early on. Um, but if I remember right, it was one of those, because in AD&D, you'll have to kind of refresh my memory, it was uh, you kind of had to roll to see what kind of class you were allowed to be. And paladin was one of those nearly impossible to ever meet the requirements for right. Uh, just because, like, you have to have a wisdom of this score and a charisma of this score and a strength of this. Like, it was really tough to be a paladin. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, so rare. However, if you ever did become one, you always took it because paladins, especially in older editions, were amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, second edition AD&D is when I first started playing. And, and the paladin, yeah, you rolled up your stats. And if you happened to get stats that were high enough to be a paladin... Even if they weren't amazing, like, or if that wasn't the concept you were going for, you played the Paladin, because what were the odds you were ever going to roll the stats good enough to do it again? And I think the the really impossible one to hit was, uh, I think, like, a Charisma of 17 uh, was required, and, and most people aren't playing Paladins because they want to be super charismatic, right? So you're basically taking what is probably going to be your best stat, and putting it into a, a an ability that you don't that is not in, in your the forefront of your mind when you imagine your character, right? Um, you're probably thinking you know wisdom because of clericiness or or um, or strength to to run up and hit things with your sword really hard, right? Um, so yeah, so paladin was tricky to get into in the later editions, third, fourth, and and now fifth, right? They've, they've those restrictions don't exist, but they've had to do things to sort of try to balance the class out. Jonathan, what were you going to say? If I if I remember correctly, and if my quick internet search is telling me the truth, there was also a, a requirement for your social class. Like if you rolled up and you were trying to be a peasant, but you suddenly were lower class or a peasant, no, you couldn't be a paladin. Mm. You could be like a different kind of fighter or something for a while and eventually kind of switch over to paladin. But to be a pure paladin, you also had to be upper class. It was super restrictive. Yeah, trying that, to get into that, it. that could be. I don't, and I don't recall that being part of it. But I also know that when we played AD and D, we house ruled and changed a lot of things anyway, right? Uh, <laughs> as, as many people did. So I don't know how much of what I recall as rules is written, and how much of it is just what we, the crazy things we did at my table. Um, but it also had the restriction of you had to be lawful good. You couldn't be anything but lawful good, and and that was the one class where. Um, the DM paid a lot of attention to how that character behaved and how well that character was in line with with their vision of what that alignment meant, right? It's the one class where you would occasionally see DMs say, yeah, 
you just did that thing. That wasn't very lawful. Good of you. Change your alignment. You've just lost all your powers until you can atone or whatever, right? But but all of that has sort of gone by the wayside as we've gotten into 5th edition. Uh, how does the 5th edition Paladin, how would you describe the 5th edition version of the Paladin? Jonathan. Well, I would... Oh, oh, go ahead. Ishmael, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, uh, I would definitely describe the Paladin as uh, being probably the most different from any other edition so far in the 5th edition. Um they're not required to worship a god necessarily. Uh, they're not required to have any specific alignment, which has caused a lot of arguments on a lot of message boards. Uh, but they follow an oath, and the oath kind of takes the place of the alignment. And the oath can, can be several different things. It can be about protecting people. It could be about righting wrongs, whether or not you do it like Frank Castle Punisher style. Or it can be about protecting nature and, and all of the, everything that that entails. But uh, I really like it because it makes the paladin so much more flexible and they still feel the same way. They're still um, kind of warriors who, who draw power from something greater than themselves, even if it's not a god or, or you know, a pantheon or, or what have you. Um, but and they still feel they still feel really awesome and, and kind of uh, purposeful in what they do. Mm. Yeah, I feel like changing the the restrictions like getting rid of the alignment restriction is fine and changing the – because that opens up uh, the the ultimate question of why is it that only lawful good gods get to have paladins? Why can't the others have holy warriors too? Which was sort of the, the classic going all the way back from the beginning of paladins. Um, you know, why can't this – why does this evil god have lawful good paladins? That doesn't make sense. And why can't right. they have something, right? Third edition kind of opened that up with, well, you can start as a paladin and then fall from grace and become an evil black guard as a prestige class. It's like, yeah, but that's a really like specific niche story to be telling, you know, um, and a weird way of, of doing that all the time. So, so I like the opening of the, up of that. Um, what do we think generally, though, of the idea that paladins no, are no longer necessarily tied to gods at all? Like you've got this oath and you, you've got some sort of... Um, divine sense uh that that empowers you or divine you know whatever connection that empowers you but it's not necessarily tied to to gods uh do we like that idea do we not like that idea what do we think i mean that, that's one of those things that's kind of like been in the background for a while that was always one of like the alternate versions or like weird spot books stuff you would see in third edition you saw it a little bit in fourth mm -hmm. um but this is the first time I feel like it's been completely divorced because there was always this really tight-knit relationship between the cleric and the paladin before. And you don't see that quite as much. Like, they still work together, but not in the same way. Mm. Um, it's almost like, because in third edition, people would always kind of try to get around, like, restrictions by saying, oh, I'm the paladin of a cause, rather than a god, to try to weasel their way around the really strict paladin requirements. And it seems like this is kind of embraced, like, no, all paladins for a cause now. Like that's mm -hmm. that's what paladins do. They they worship a cause, and that might line up with some gods. And if so, great. But if not, meh. Okay. What, what do you think about that, Ishmael? Well, um, I think I think it's a really great innovation, and the way that they approached it worked out really well. Uh, I'm playing a paladin right now, and that paladin worships a god, and there's no problem with that. It just fits. But if I was to play in, say, a Dark Sun game, then I could also be a paladin, despite the fact that they basically don't have gods. Right. Or I could be a paladin, maybe, to the cause of a Dragon King, which would be kind of weird and wacky, but that would be that would be a really good uh, approach, probably. And what, what it's done is it's taken the paladin away from being just like this cookie-cutter holy warrior that only follows one path, which is the lawful good path, and opens it up to all kinds of different um, mm -hmm. character uh concepts which you know you, you really couldn't do before without just throwing the paladin class out the window and just making something as far as the requirements go that was totally different right yeah yeah uh, the paladin used to, oh, oh, go uh, ahead i think the paladin used to have a lot of stigma around it i mean and some of it rightly deserved because it was so restrictive once the paladin was playing because what they what they could do was so restrictive everyone else kind of had to adjust to the paladins or around the paladins morality and around that player's morality, otherwise they would fall and lose all their powers. And by kind of disassociating those and taking it away from alignment from the gods, um, I think it gives players and DMs a lot more flexibility in having a paladin player in the game. 
Okay, sure. Yeah, no, I think I like, I really like the idea of divorcing Paladin from an alignment restriction, and, and they kind of got away from that a long time ago. Um, I'm, so, I like the idea that it is built from the ground up. It has a foundation that is flexible, right? It could, it's just sort of divine. Like, it's clearly it's divine. All, all of their powers have the word divine in it, right? So you can't say right. that, that it's not a divine uh, inspired class, at least not if you're paying any attention. But at the same time, like, it's just a name. And if you're making a character, you could completely ignore that. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. I feel like I like that it has the flexibility to allow the class to work in any setting. And I had the same thought about Dark Sun, Ishmael, um, in that, you know, I, I think in, in most classical, traditional, high fantasy settings, I would probably as a DM require the paladin to follow a god. Um, because that's the easiest way to explain and justify the powers that they get, right? Uh, but I like the fact that the class is inherently flexible to the point that if you want to be the exception to the rule or if you want to play in Dark Sun, that you can totally make that work. And there's reasons that you can make it work. And the class doesn't rely on a god. And you don't have to write a whole chapter about why this is, you know, this is how paladins work in this setting, right? Because there's no gods. Um, you can just sort of play it as written. So, yeah, absolutely. I guess that's how I go, right? I, I feel like... As a DM, I want to impose some requirements or restrictions on paladins um, to so they fit into the larger setting better. Um, but the class is flexible enough that I can do that. Yeah, and I mean, I agree with you with what you're saying. Like, if you were going to do a Forgotten Realms campaign with a paladin, they should probably follow a god because the gods are so intrinsic to the setting. Um, you know, it's not like they're, well, and with, there are certain storylines where the gods actually do come down and they're hanging out on, on Toral, but, um, for the most part, they, they, they're important enough to the setting where being part of the cause of a god makes sense. And it's just, it, it, it is something kind of, uh, it, it, it's something that's kind of like built into the foundation of Forgotten Realms. And, and Greyhawk is kind of the same way as well. And you could go setting by setting, but right. it, it just makes sense in those traditional fantasy settings. Right. But it gives you the flexibility you don't have to. So right. so we talked about how older edition paladins were, especially back, way back when they, in AD&D, second edition AD&D, were so incredibly awesome that they had to have super high restrictions to make it impossible to get them. Um which was their way, I guess, of balancing things, right? It's like, well, this is super awesome, but you have to be super awesome in these other ways too, which means when you do have a paladin, they're just better than everybody else, right? right. Um, so, so we've got a different approach, right? There's no restrictions. Uh, you do have you know, certain oaths that you have to follow um, and, or that you're supposed to follow, right? Um, and we'll talk a little, about, a little bit about that. But, but they're not as overpowered, I guess, as they used to be. So given that, why should I play a paladin? So for me, paladins are... Uh, they're kind of the ultimate... So in, my, in my mind, they're, always, they're kind of the ultimate support character. They can fight on the front lines as you know, almost as well as a fighter, almost as well as a barbarian. Like they, they're, they're heavily armored. They've got a lot of combat stuff. Great. They can, they've got a lot of natural healing abilities. Um, so if you know something happens to the cleric or there's no one else to heal, the paladin has that reserve to kind of fall back on. Um, with their smites, they can spike damage just like a rogue. They can kind of fill that niche. Uh, with some of their auras, this has actually been one of those things that I didn't expect it, for it to be as useful as, it, as I've seen it be in games. The, uh, the paladin aura that just makes everyone else in the party better is fantastic. Uh, paladin is one of those characters that no matter what the situation is, they're useful mm. and they're good to have around and you'll never have someone say oh you're playing a paladin really it's like oh cool we've got a paladin this is great a paladin is kind of like no matter if you want to do a little bit of everything or have the option to do a little bit of everything um without you know maybe some of the craziness of you know of a wizard who super diversifies a paladin is a really nice solid choice Okay, especially if you want to go like be able to tank, right? Because because bards can almost do everything except for the the tanking, right? Jumping up front with heavy armor and doing that. Yeah, so mm -hmm. you don't quite have the spellcasting of a bard, but you do have that ability to I can go up and I can absorb whatever is coming at us and give everyone else a uh, you know a chance to breathe. And that's kind of I think what paladins are designed for is 
you know, I will be the one who will hold the gate while everyone else retreats. Like, they're really great at that. Okay. And Ishmael, why do you think people should play Paladins? Uh, well, I mean, I would have to agree with everything that was just said. Uh, they're, they're kind of like Swiss Army fighters. They have all kinds of neat tricks up their sleeves uh, that I've been uh, discovering for much the same reasons. The auras, the, the smite damage. I mean, everything is just so fantastic. The game that I'm in right now doesn't have a cleric, and so I'm I'm pulling double duty with healing and removing you know curses and diseases and so on, uh, and you know being able to be on the front lines and fight and take damage. It's just it, it's something so nice. I think I've always been in love with the idea of a paladin from you know being a kid and and kind of watching like you know uh, movies with King Arthur in them and things like that. But like it's I think it hasn't really lined up to my expectations until now of just being like a big damn hero and, and kind of being able to be so amazing at so many mm-hmm. things while also being able to swing a sword really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think beyond that, one of the reasons that somebody might be interested in playing a paladin is that sometimes I find, generally speaking, creativity flourishes when the when there's borders, when there's limitations, you know, and then you have to find ways to be creative within those limitations and sometimes new ideas come out. And, and the idea of, of the oaths uh, and this, this idea of the holy warrior sort of thing that Paladin, this niche that Paladins fill, um, provides some of those restrictions, right? It's not quite like, um, like the Warlock, if people go back and listen to that episode, where, where the Warlock has a specific story that the class is trying to tell, right? About this, this patron and, and the follower that, that's using the patron for power and what have you, and they're kind of using each other, and there's all this stuff. Right, that comes along with the basic story of being a warlock. Paladins have maybe a little bit of that in that, you know, theoretically they have some sort of divine patron that grants them their powers. But I think there's also this, this if you want to, to take on uh, something that's going to inspire role-playing, not, ju- not any specific story, but just general role-playing, then this gives you lots of hooks and interesting options to do that, right? And you'll get to that when we talk about the O's, that there's specific sort of, um, you know, in the same way that like your your ideals, bonds, and flaws give you um, ways to role play your characters, the O's sort of act like adding in. You know, here's another four little hooks to to give you ideas about how to role play your character, right? Mm-hmm. And I find I find that to be compelling. So, uh, and and largely I find that to be compelling because I'm not sure how sold I am on the awesomeness of the mechanic of the of the paladin. Ultimately. Um, this is, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with the mechanics of the Paladin. I don't think they're they're underpowered or overpowered or whatever. Um, I just remember way back when when Fifth Edition first came out and we were reviewing the Player's Handbook. My assessment of the Paladin was um, that I was the least inspired at the time by the Paladin, and I looked at it and was, and I'm like, well, it's it's basically just a multi-class cleric fighter with a few extra little things to to be an homage to the older versions of Paladins. Um, and I'm not like my my assessment of that has evolved some. I'm not sure how much it's evolved though. Like it, it still feels a, a little bit like a fighter cleric with some extra paladiny stuff to thrown in to help us remember the old olden days, right? Do you guys completely disagree? You're you're the paladin lovers, right? <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and I say absolutely. I'm a paladin paladin lover. I don't necessarily disagree, but I, I do. <laughs> I do uh, really love playing a paladin, and they just—they feel distinct when you play them. Like they feel like they're a different thing. They're not just a cleric that it has fighter levels or what have you. Um, and a lot of that is mechanical, and a lot of that is tied to the oaths. But um, I think that you know, in in speaking with other people online, the general consensus is that uh, paladins and rogues, and if I want to say one other class, are like top in damage dealing because of the way that they're mechanically set mm-hmm. up. And it's true. I, think. Uh, I don't think I've ever gone over 100 damage with any other character but a paladin. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. Um, the biggest thing that distinguishes them from, from clerics is because that's you know always my first my first kind of thought. is like, yeah, they're, they're cleric fighters. They're, it's that nice kind of like spot in between. Um, is the Even though they're divine casters and they have a few similar spells to, to, uh, to clerics, paladins, paladins, this paladin spell list is very unique from every other class. Like a um, lot of the a lot of the smites that they do um, in game, it makes it feel very different. A lot of things to be able to say, right? 
like either you know nailing one person at one on one like me and you we're going to do this or if you attack anybody else except for me then you're going to be hurting or even just you know straight up smiting people and burning those spell slots to saying right I've got to drop this one person I will burn everything that I've got Mm -hmm. to make this person pay um it, it it feels unique and it feels different. Um, so it sounds like the smite is the thing that makes paladins different than either a cleric or a fighter. It, it, at least, at least it, significantly. Yeah. Is, is that right? It feels I'm, like that. Um, sorry, I was just going to throw in. I think I have to agree that it's the smite, but it's also the spell list. I didn't think of that, but the spell list really is tailored more than any other class. I think ranger's close, but... Um, paladins have a lot of very unique spells that they only get, and they, it kind of lends them a lot of flavor. Hmm. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk for you. No, and that, and that's that's an interesting. I mean, that's a pretty deep dive assessment into a class, right? To to go through the individual spell list and look at those spells and see what, what which ones are unique to them and whatever. Um, that that's interesting, and, and I think mostly that comes out through play, right? So it's the advantage of, of re-reviewing these classes after years of, of having them having the book out and, and playing the game. I know most a lot of the the traditional paladiny sort of uh, features of the paladin um, help, I think, make make them feel like paladins of yore of previous editions, right? The divine the divine sense, the lay on hands. Um, you know the divine health uh, later on uh, cleansing touch these kinds of things um, are uh, the aura of protection and the aura of courage the, these are the kinds of things that like paladins have been able to do since second edition ad and d uh, you know they've been modified they've changed how they work right but but they're these are the things that that immediately say hey this is a paladin even if at the table you're it sounds like you're saying they're not sort of the big deal that makes the paladin feel unique uh, it it depends on I think the campaign. So for me, having a paladin in the uh, when I ran the full Tyranny of Dragons campaign, having a paladin that could suddenly stand up and everyone around them was immune to a dragon's fear effects, and everyone getting the uh, the saving throw bonus when mm-hmm. within ten feet of a paladin. That's that has saved the entire party at one point. Paladins kind of became this like just this like standing banner for everyone else to rally around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is kind of the vision, right? That's what they're supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. And that definitely comes out in play mainly through the aura, but also um, a lot of the, the paladins, one of those kinds where you, you rarely see like a heavy deck space paladin. It's almost always the heavy armor shield sword. Yeah. Right. I am, you know, I am the bulwark mm-hmm. in the storm mm-hmm. type feeling. Yeah, and, they, and, and they've got those homages to the Hospitaller sort of combat medics with Lay on Hands. It adds a little bit of healing, not a ton, but a little bit, which you can also use to, you know, um, cure diseases and, and poisons and that kind of stuff. Um, the sort of thing that, that one imagines the legends of historical paladins on the, the battlefield and the Crusades, you know, doing. Um, um, and what was the other one? Oh, and they themselves become immune to, to those sorts of things, to disease and that kind of stuff later on. Um, um, all of that sort of fits in pretty well with that sort of classic sense of paladin. One of the the really um, one of the things that used to come up a lot for paladins uh, back in the day was that they could detect alignment, like at will. They would just run around and tell everybody tell everybody who's evil and who's not, right? <laughs> Uh, it made like a murder mystery story impossible. Oh no, somebody in at the party died. Well, the paladin is just going to walk around and tell you, well, these are the evil people. We just narrowed it down to those three or whatever, right? Um, <laughs> that so divine sense works differently in fifth edition, right? Divine yeah. sense for the uh, better. Yeah. So so well, probably yeah. I mean, they've sort of gotten away from through fourth, and then definitely by fifth, they've kind of gotten away from the alignment specific mechanics anyway. Um, so in this case, the the divine sense senses um, senses what uh, fiends, celestials, and undead type creatures, uh, as long as they're not under complete cover. So you can just sort of tell, hey, there's an undead creature over there, you know, within what is it? What's the range? Um, Sixty feet. So there's a, there's a, some sort of undead creature over in that building, sixty feet away. Um, we should go check that out, sort of thing. Right, and that works pretty well. 
Um, it's also a lot more niche, though, than it used to be, right? That that ability used to be very useful, and thus it became sort of iconic for Paladin. How much does Divine Sins come up in Paladins now with 5th edition? Does it define a Paladin like it used to? No, I've, I've hardly ever seen it come up, especially compared to 3rd like, edition. It was basically a radar. Like, a Paladin always had it on, right. would always be looking at everyone, and then would just go and smite people because, oh, nope, they pinged on my evil radar. Uh, whereas now I've just, you know, I've seen it used when they know that there's a vampire nearby and they're trying to figure out where it is. And like, oh, hang on. Now the paladin's narrowed down. It's hiding in that tree over there. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very, very situational and rare now. And not nearly the defining, defining feature it used to be. And like I said, I feel like it's for the better because it it made games less interesting, I feel, when, yeah. it, when they would just always have it. I think it mm-hmm. certainly fixed mechanics, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's it, it, I don't know I, I almost feel like there's a bit of loss because it's it's so not iconic anymore um, but it but it's there and I feel like they just sort of threw the old grognards a bone and said well no it's still there it's just changed the way it works and you have to be okay with that because the old way didn't really work very well so mm-hmm. and one of the interesting things is that uh, because it's not used as often you don't get jumpy paladins who are suspecting everyone they meet it it, mm-hmm. it changes. The, it, it kind of changes the interactions, which makes paladins so much better yeah. to role play, because you know you you can play a paladin in three point five or or what have you uh, in third edition and not do that. But it, the tendency is there, and you get those players who do that, and it bogs down play so much. But well, yeah, because you, you literally know all the time whether or not somebody's evil, right? Yes, yes, but this is so much better. It's a it's a better paradigm. Very good. Uh, so we talked about some of the... I mean, we sort of uh, went through Lay on Hands. We talked about... Uh, they've got different fighting styles they get to choose from, which is a little bit fightery. they got some some light spell casting, which is clericish, although you're pointing out uh, really defines um, the paladin as being something different than the cleric. Um, they get some extra attacks, which are a bit fightery. Uh, all these other things, right? Uh, so let's talk about the div- the, the oaths. That they that they could take in the player's handbook. There are three oaths, and I believe um, we've got what one other oath from uh, Sword Coast Adventures Guide. Yeah, and one in the Dungeon Master Dungeon Master's Guide. If mm-hmm. you're if you're going to include things from the DMG as as playable material, yes. Yeah. So we've got. Let's go through the the three basic. Uh, oaths in the player's handbook then we've got the oath of devotion the oath of the ancients and the oath of vengeance uh and 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 that my assessment of the three is um oath of devotion is the the goody goody paladin with a sense of justice and duty the oath of Mm -hmm. ancients is the goody goody paladin with a sense of balance and nature with that follows ancient traditions and the vengeance oath is the the punisher paladin the holy assassin who goes out and smites in the name of of their god is that you know as an overview does that sort of uh uh am i off base no that's pretty apt yeah white knight green knight gray knight if you i mean want to go to it's like the old color based you know like final fantasy type tropes yeah (laughs) yeah and it it, and i would be like as much as we talked about how great it is to have um paladin not be attached to any specific alignment um i'm not sure that's true of the oaths like there's no specific requirement that you have to be good to take the oath of devotion but it doesn't make sense story-wise not to be good uh, and in, and with the Oath of the Ancients, it specifically says these are the warriors who, who are choosing light in the battle between light and darkness. So it kind of defines them as being good as well. Without explicitly requiring it, the story of those two oaths kind of assume that you're playing a good guy. Does that seem fair? I would say that that's, yeah, that's accurate. And I think that was... That's almost sneaky on their part. Like, instead of saying you have to be good if you're going to choose this oath or you have to be neutral, they just kind of left it open-ended because the the oaths almost work towards certain kinds of, uh, like, ideas or, or character concepts. And so they, they it kind of molds the character through the choice of, of, the, of the oath instead right. of saying, oh, you can't be this, and then having people argue about it. It just kind of naturally works out. Mm-hmm. 
And the oath of, of devotion, I feel like, is your is your traditional paladin from from editions of yore, right? It's your deadly do right. Yeah, yeah, and it's got the tenets of, of honesty, courage. What is it? Compassion, honor, and duty. These are sort of mm-hmm. your traditional, you know, knight in shining armor sort of paladins. Um, they and and through your oath, you get some extra spells. You get some. Uh, you get channel divinities, uh, and these are the ones that that are the oath of devotion is the one that that takes your paladin and maybe inches it a little bit to being a little bit more cleric-y because this is where you get turn undead or at least turn the unholy right uh which is yeah. works similarly with with you know different uh targets um but, but this is the one that feels like yeah the traditional paladin and it's a little more cleric-y the oath of the agents um doesn't quite fit like we you, you mentioned it as the green knight but we've also talked about it as being the light in the in the battle between good and darkness so so where does the oath of ancients paladin sort of fit in to the larger scheme of understanding how paladins work um so it's uh and so part of that you can see in kind of the uh, the spell it's very much it's all very heavily nature based um mm-hmm. lots um Lots of you know summoning up vines, grabbing hold of people, ensnaring them, um, mm-hmm. like uh, lots of druid type spells. Um, like if the oath um, of devotion kind of bumps towards a cleric, this definitely bumps towards a druid mm-hmm. more than anything mm-hmm. else. Um, and actually, I think in one of the earlier playtest documents when it was still D and D next, this was actually called uh, like the Green Knight. And you got like a stag and things like that, and that's definitely the inspiration for this. Mm-hmm. Um, but even you know, rather than being able to turn the undead, you turn evil fey creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some really uh, some really neat stuff that kind of gives this guardian of the forest type feel to it. Um, even harkening a little bit back to uh, back to the warden in fourth edition, mm. um, you get some abilities like you know, so that you're like you actually shoot out vines and you grab a hold of people as part of your channel divinity. Yeah, that's um, a, that's an interesting thought because I, I you often I oftentimes look at the classes for fifth edition and say okay they wanted to make all of the different characters from previous editions that you might have had possible um, and and that's tricky to do and so the classic is sort of okay well how do I build a warlord and you can kind of see where the warlord sneaks into some different classes that you could pull them off I hadn't thought about oath of the ancients as being a way of doing the warden but but you're right I think it kind of works. Thing for, I think for all of these to kind of figure out where where it's directing you is to look at the twentieth the twentieth level power. So the oath of devotion at twentieth level you effectively turn into an angel. Um, like you start you start glowing, enemies shy away from you, etc. For the oath of the ancients, I mean you you turn into a tree, like you uh, or you or like this weird wild beast thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but part of the trick for me is that like. It feels like one of the places I should be able to look to really get a sense of, of what kind of paladin this is is by looking at the the tenets uh, of the faith. Right there's those you know I mentioned honesty, courage, etc. For the oath of devotion, uh, kindle the light, shelter the light, preserve your own light, and be the light. And as you read the descriptions of those tenets of of the ancients, um, it doesn't necessarily come off as as naturey. Although you're right, all of the powers say, yeah, clearly this is the nature holy warrior, right? And I don't have a lot of archetypes for that either, right? I, I know what a knight in shining armor paladin looks like. I kind of know what an oath of vengeance, you know, uh, a holy slayer might look like. I don't know what an oath of the ancients nature green knight sort of uh, paladin looks like. I, I don't. I can't think of a, of other archetypes for that. So. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. I don't think the uh, I don't think the oaths line up for or the actual oath tenants line up very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a uh, I've actually got an oath of the ancients paladin in my game right now, and uh, we took a lot of inspiration from um, from the Dresden Files, okay. the uh, the summer night and the winter night, and effectively, you know, in this one she was she was commissioned by one of the fairy queens, really taking a page more from the uh, the Fey Pack warlock more than anything mm-hmm. else. And it's like, right, you are you are the guardian of the natural world. Those who are trying to to break the cycle of the natural world, that you know, that death, rebirth, you know, that you know, I guess you know, th- the spring growth and birth, the summer flourishing, and then eventually the diminishing and the death and winter. Like that's a natural cycle that always happens. It's your job to punish those who try to break that cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where we took it because 
we we liked a lot of it, but the the tenants didn't feel right. Right. So I would agree with you on this. There's a weird disconnect here. Yeah, and I imagine especially uh, where you're at, right? There's there's decent inspiration for this because when I think of the Oath of the Agents, the only thing I can think of to connect it to historically or in legend or whatever, right? It goes back to sort of Celtic myth, um, which mm-hmm. you know, is is the part of the world that you're hanging out in these days. So then let's talk about Oath of Vengeance. This is your, your Holy Slayer. And there have been archetypes of this going back to previous editions as well. This is the, um, you're going to do things that may not be bright and shiny and awesome and good, but you're going to be doing it for the greater good, for a good reason. And you're going to go out and, and when somebody needs to die so that your God's faith can flourish, then you're going to be the one who makes sure that they end up dead. Yeah, and they're really good at it too. Yeah, and this one, uh, and, and as much as there have been like previous sort of incarnations of this concept, um, I, I feel like this one is is there. You know, again, in, in terms of trying to bring back other classes that have faded away in fifth edition, this is kind of the Avenger, which is sort of the Holy Slayer of fourth edition. Yeah, yeah, the Avenger of fourth edition, the Justicar of third edition. Yeah, um, yeah. Definitely. So what do we think of the... They definitely have that. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. They definitely have that uh, sense of they are the, you know, they're, they're, the, they're kind of the judge dread. They're the, they're the judge, jury, and executioner. They decide who lives and dies based mm-hmm. on, on their perception of, of the good and evil or, or the right and wrong by whatever their oath is. Um, so they, they really do kind of take matters into their own hands more than anyone else. And, and really, that's the kind of paladin that some people used to play back when they could be lawful good. Mm-hmm. And they would, they would kind of construe, I'm not going to say misconstrue, but they would construe that lawful good, like, you know, uh, defending good at all costs as being kind of this unrelenting, if something is evil, I will kill it kind of mm-hmm. uh, uh, paladin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I feel like this is the one, like as much as like, again, once again, the tenets of the, the Oath of Vengeance are fight the greater evil, no mercy for the wicked by any means necessary and restitution, right? It's still like the tenets still lean very heavily towards good alignment, maybe, maybe at best lawful neutral, but you're still fighting like the greater evil, right? You're destroying the wicked, right? That kind of stuff. Um. But at the same time, like I feel like these tenants more than the others can be, although I can see an argument for the oath of agents. Uh, but these tenants more than more than the others, I think, can be fairly easily modified to fit any alignment and just about any god. Yeah, I could see that. Unless a god is specifically like kind and and merciful, like yeah, any god would have someone who goes out and and murders in their name. Like, you, you see that in most fantasy yeah, uh, and I, settings. And I don't know that any god would, but any god could, if that's what you wanted to do with your story, right? Yeah. I also see this as one that could be very easily divorced from having any god. Like, that, you know, that, that whole idea of, you know, the Punisher or Batman or whoever. Like, I was wronged. Now I shall make the wicked pay for what they did. Mm. Like, that's, that's a very deep story that I feel like, you know, has, has been told a dozen times, but it's still a fun archetype to play. And... None of those characters have, you know, necessarily any ties to higher power, but, you know. So I think this one, more than the other ones, could very much be that, you know, I will I will have my vengeance. I'm going to come back and, because I was wronged or because of whatever happened, you know, to my village, now bad people will pay for what they've done. Like, that's the most common, one of the most common superhero tropes ever. Uh, so I think you can really have a lot of fun with that and really kind of massage some of these oaths to make it more or less divine as needed. Mm. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, if you make it to 20th level with this oath, you literally turn into an angel, so it's hard to make it too not divine, <laughs> because you sprout wings and practically start glowing, right? Um, mm. But but certainly, you could... You, you This one is, is the, the more flexible of the different options. I mean, I could see an evil version of the Oath of Ancients as well, where... Um, the take of the of the paladin is that you know civilization has gone too far. It's my my duty to bring restore the balance by tearing it down. Um, so so I could 
I could see interesting ways to, of role-playing that and justifying it. Um, now, we've mentioned that all of them have these tenets listed, and it's sort of, these, these are the ways you must behave. In previous editions, it would be sort of, these are the rules you must follow, and if you don't, you've sort of broken your oath, right? You're no longer, and, and you would lose your, your powers, right? Like you would if you lost your, if you changed your alignment in, in second edition, like we talked about, right? Um, right. Now, now, fifth edition doesn't have rules for that. So what do you guys think about the idea of, you know, you've got specific ways you're supposed to be behaving. If you don't do it, then what happens to you? Do you just sort of continue being the paladin that you're being, even though you're not following any of the rules of your paladinhood? Well, it kind of reminds me of the discussion we had on Warlocks. Like, there's no, there's nothing in there that says, this is what happens when you break your oaths. Well, I mean, there's there's some there's some of that, but it's not as codified as it had been in previous editions, and so they kind of leave it to you. And I think I kind of like that for the same reasons as with a warlock, and that you can kind of decide what that means. Does that mean uh, a side quest where you have to go and figure out your atonement? I didn't like that in third edition, atonement was a spell, and you could just go ask for one. Um, and obviously, there there needed to be some nod to the fact that you your character did feel sorry for whatever thing they did, but. Um, now it's kind of in the dungeon master's hands about what that means and how it looks and whether that has to do with like a god giving a quest or or you know maybe having an intermediary like a high priest giving a quest or or some kind of direction or if it just meant like that they they had to the, the 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 paladin will have to go on without their powers until they do something sufficiently heroic to prove themselves once again it's it's definitely a more powerful story tool than it had been in probably previous editions. Mm. Well, yes and no. I mean, on one hand, I agree. That's how it should be handled, right? You, you've done something against the rules of your paladinhood. You've broken a tenant, whatever. Um, that's certainly how I would play it. But rules as written, the tenants don't actually mean anything, right? The, each oath is just a collection of mechanical benefits, and you can completely ignore all of the tenants and all the role-playing that, that's supposed to go along with it that makes them feel unique and, and paladinish. Um, again, rules is written. Now, as a DM, that's not how I would run it, and then it sounds like that's not how you would run it either, and I don't think that's how generally people should be running it, but um, but you could, right? And, and so that's an interesting... Like I, I almost wish there was just a little sidebar that said... Hey, if this you know, if somebody breaks the rules, here are some things that DMs might think about doing, right? At least to, to yeah. codify it a little bit, to give some oomph behind yeah. it. What do you think, Jonathan? I mean, it's just so. This is just one of those where I, I'm I'm very gun shy about the entire thing, just because I you know I I did have some of those paladin horror stories from third edition, sure. so hard coding something like that in i mean i you know as a dm i would do the exact same thing that that y'all are discussing um you know i would work out something with my players story-wise and make it interesting uh, maybe this is how they multi-class maybe find a way to atone and make up for it so i you should do all those things but again that's that should be a dm tra- tailing it to the player tailoring it to the campaign i don't like the idea of it being hard coded in there mm. uh just because I mean, again, and be- because it's the Paladin, I'm very hesitant for hard-coding your- how to play the class mm-hmm. in the rules. And, hey, if you don't RP this certain way, then we're going to we're going to punish you. I, f- I feel that that's counterproductive for what D&D should be, because it's supposed to be about exploring and trying things and saying, hey... Because you didn't follow this weird arbitrary rules, especially one that's up to so much interpretation on the GM, then we're going to take away your abilities. Oh yeah, and I and I think as a, as a DM, like I would, like I would go th- through if I had a had so if I have somebody sitting down and playing a paladin uh, at my in my campaign in my long term campaign or whatever, I'm going to go through and say, okay, what oath are you taking? Let's talk about these tenants and what do they mean to you, uh, and and sort of come to a consensus that we can agree on, so that it's not just my interpretation saying hey i'm saying that you're interpreting this wrong and that you're that you're you're being punished for it um because we've sort of had that conversation already um but certainly i, I don't know i i think there's i don't even want to say a middle ground i think there's a a ground that's like 
nine tenths what you're talking about in that there's nothing. I just I, again, I just kind of wish there was a little nod to to DMs that they could and should do something if a paladin just completely breaks their oath, right? The lawful good paladin, um, you know, walks into the city, city and starts murdering people. There should be consequences for that within their paladinishness, right? Um, right. So yeah, I just wish there was a little, and 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 I guess the best we can do, since there's not a little sidebar or a nod to that anywhere in here, is that we're talking about it here and we're encouraging people to go out and run their games that way, right? Um, but Watsy's not doing that, and a lot more people would see it if it was in the book. So, and if I could interject real quick, it does make me think about how paladins no longer have the ability to det- to detect evil, and it just feels like a stroke of brilliance because that changes the way that people play paladins. But taking away the codification for how they fall from grace or how they lose their powers or what have you does the same thing for game masters because mm-hmm. you did have game masters who would watch a paladin's every move and who would make sure that if they stepped out of line even just a little bit, they would lose their powers. Mm-hmm. Or they, I've even heard some horror stories where a uh, game master would literally either trick or, or place paladins into situations where they had to pick something that was going to get them their powers taken away and even if that's for a story reason that's kind of not cool so i feel like this that there's still going to be game masters out there and dungeon masters out there who do that but this is definitely uh kind of reinforcing the idea that no you don't have to run it that way you don't have to be watchful and you don't have to uh you know police your paladins like like some dungeon masters use oh yeah no i would never advocate for going back to to hard coding it and and um, you know, advocating for policing of, of role-playing, right? Right. I, I do agree with you that there should be a little sidebar to say, hey, this might be a way to handle it, because that does sound like a really good idea, and it just seems like a better a better way to approach it, not not with hard and fast rules, but with like really good suggestions, which other you've seen that in other places in, in the in the core books. Right. And and, and I feel like None of this matters for us, right? We've been playing the game. We've played other editions. We kind of know how it used to work. We, we understand the concept of, of how this class is supposed to go and, and how the role-playing is supposed to work and how that's all supposed to go, go down. And we've got these options in our heads of how we can handle it. But I also work with... Uh, I also run an after-school gaming club with, with 12-year-olds who've never played D&D before. And I'm thinking of kids like that picking up the book and running through it and... and very quickly how a paladin or a warlock or whatever could very easily just become a collection of mechanical benefits instead yep. of instead of evoking a specific story uh, because there's the story lacks consequences so. I mean, so i mean couldn't i guess you could say the same for a cleric you know and mm-hmm. for you know maybe a druid as well sure you know they so it's, uh, I don't know, that's a tough one. And again, I'm not saying co- codified. I'm not saying make it, this is yeah. the thing. But but some some suggestions. Hey, this should be a discussion, yeah. Here, here are some things you might consider with these kinds of classes. I think that, that would help at least new players uh, get some of these ideas in their head about how they might want to handle it as a DM. So anyway, um, so, so you're my paladin experts. What tips can you provide people for making good paladins? Are there combinations that are particularly awesome? Are there combinations that are particularly uh, not ideal? Um, this I, I would never sort of encourage min-maxing, uh, right? But, uh, but this is the part where we can tell people, hey, if you put this combination with this combination, it doesn't really end up working very well, or this combination together can be kind of cool and fun. Certainly different types of uh, or choices as a paladin play differently that may or may not be better. But what do you guys think? Are there are there any tips that somebody should follow for making a paladin? Uh, sure. So one thing, you know, we've mentioned the spell list a couple of times. The vast majority of paladin spells are all designed to be cast as a bonus action. And it's almost always designed as you cast it as a bonus action and then you go and you do your attack. And if your attack connects, then the spell that you had cast before goes off. Hmm. So a lot of it is like an enhancement to your weapon. like And, you know, when you hit someone with it successfully... Then there's an ex, you know a thunderclap and they take extra damage etc. Um, so bear in mind that that's kind of how your spells work. So you know if you're looking to go in and attack, make sure you know right. If I want to do a little bit extra something something, and I'm not wanting to use use a regular smite, um, because in general the spell effect will be more powerful than a smite. But you know, but you've always got the smite in the background that you can kind of trigger after the fact. Right. But be aware that your spells are usually a bonus action. 
Yeah, and that's and that's good to note as well. I mean, historically, paladins have had some spellcasting, but not a ton, and not particularly important spellcasting, I guess, if you will. So it was really mm-hmm. easy to ignore it unless you were looking for a solution to a specific niche situation or you just wanted some extra healing or whatever. Uh, but it sounds like, from from our discussion, the, the spellcasting options of a paladin are more important than they were in the past, and so you should probably pay more attention to your spells than you might think you need to do. In, any other that tips? Uh, I was going to add that uh, there are in 5th edition especially, there are a lot of um, character classes that are tied to a specific um, attribute. And, uh, like, for instance, it's very hard to make a barbarian based on dex, or dexterity, I should say, uh, because they just don't work like that. A lot of their powers specifically uh, are meant to work with weapons that use strength and, and so on and so forth. Uh, you could do a paladin based on dexterity, but it would be very difficult. I would call it, like, maybe a hard mode or like for experienced players because you would really have to know what you're doing and how to do it. Um, you wouldn't be wearing heavy armor like you would otherwise or, or it would be kind of silly to do so. Um, but you could do it. It's a it's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there's a reason that, that uh, paladins are, are keyed into strength and they actually, uh, if you multi-class into a paladin, you have to have a certain amount of strength to, to um, multi-class into a paladin. But it's not all strength based, right? Um, like I like how they 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 don't require the stats that that the previous editions required to, to at, least, at least outside of multiclassing, right? But at the same right. time, they certainly encourage you to consider those. Like if you're going to play a paladin, you're probably going to put one of your higher stats in strength, regardless. Like everybody who plays a paladin is probably going to put one of their higher higher stats into strength. But there's also a lot of incentive to put it into to to put a high stat into charisma. Which mm-hmm. used, used to be just the the really impossible target to hit in, in second edition AD and D, right? Um, that made the the paladin different, right? To the the charismatic knight shining armor. Now there's there's mechanical elements of the paladin that don't require you to boost your charisma, but your spellcasting is based on your charisma. Some of your divine abilities are based on charisma. Uh, there certainly seems to be some good mechanical reasons to encourage people to have a decently high charisma, sort of still evoking that, that old, um, um, stereotype. Yeah. Um, especially the, uh, I think there's an aura that gives all allies within whatever your aura is a bonus to their saving throws equal to your charisma. So suddenly all of your allies are getting say a plus four to their saving throws. They will love you. Mm-hmm. They will absolutely oh, yeah. love you. Yeah. That's it's the aura protection thing. six level. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. So what about playing paladins? What tips do you have for helping people play paladins better? So this is this is less about the, the mechanics and more about the, or maybe it could be a specific mechanical combination, uh, you know, that you should really do this in a, in a fight. Uh, but what, what advice do you have for, for role-playing a paladin well and all those sorts of things? What do you think? I think that as far as playing a paladin, as far as the actual role playing and, and kind of like assuming that that uh, mantle of a paladin for your character, it would be about making sure that you know that you're, you're kind of um, you're basing all of your character actions and interactions on the choice you've made to follow the oath or to to become part of an order, if that's how that hashes mm-hmm. out in, in your setting. Uh, so you might be a brotherhood of paladins and, and you might have very strict ideas on certain, you know, cultural ideas or you might um, just be a very staunch defender of the weak and that would, it won't, that won't make you a jerk like maybe other paladins had been in previous editions, but it, it will definitely color your ideas on what you do if you see uh, slavery or like, you know, someone uh, mistreating an animal or, or, you know, anything like that. And that... Um, more than, or better than in previous editions, I think that colors your character without making them have to react to every bad thing that they see. It just, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe you see that there's slavery in a town, but you don't start going and attacking the slavers. You start thinking, well, I need to write this wrong. Let me think into the long term how I want to do it, or, you know, any number of things like that. Yeah, the, the, I mean, the old version of playing a paladin would sometimes be really obnoxious because um, the paladin wouldn't allow the party 
to do, you know, to to kill an enemy to or uh, you know somebody that they've captured or to uh, wouldn't let the rogue go and pick pockets and wouldn't let you know these other people, these other players do the thing that their characters are, are meant to be doing, right? Uh, and so the pal- the role playing of the paladin was was a tool for harshing the buzz of everybody else at the table, right? <laughs> Um, uh, so, so I think while the, the tenants and the concept of the paladin are, some, are things that I like the idea of playing with, um, I think also don't be so slavish to this idealized stereotype of a paladin that it's, mm-hmm. it's damaging the fun. Like do the, follow the tenants, uh, in a way or, or define the tenants in a way that's going to make playing the paladin fun. Like you see an injustice and you feel the need to do something about it, but not the, like I, I played a, a pacifist cleric once because I thought it was an interesting thought experiment to see if this would be possible. And it was possible, but it so wasn't fun for anybody else in the party that I would kept getting mad at them for killing our enemies, right? Because that's not how D&D works, you know? So <laughs> so I was trying to change the nature of the game with this one cleric. Uh, and he was really good at what he did, but he, but he wasn't particularly good at being a member of the party. So eventually I, I let that cleric go and did something else. Um, because I recognize that that cleric, while, while an interesting thought experiment and an interesting mechanical experiment, just like many paladins, was not enhancing the fun at the table. And I think there's, there's, a, cert- there's a trap that you can get into with paladins where you could, you could make a paladin that role-playing-wise is designed to, to um, enhance or limit other people's fun. Uh, and, and certainly I would encourage considering how to enhance the fun and how to inform your role play and make it more about what you do, not what you force other people to do um, in order to, to make that role play exciting. I think that's very good advice. And I think that like being a paladin, you should use it as a guideline and not the overriding purpose of your character. But I'm sorry, I didn't mean to speak over you. You didn't talk about um, me. Jonathan, did you have something? Yeah. Uh, so the one thing I was going to bring up in terms of playing a paladin is as um, because paladins are you know very versatile, they can do a lot of different things, kind of like what we mentioned earlier, um, to keep an eye on how you can use those to connect to other party members. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, you can, there's a lot of connections that you can have to a cleric, especially if you both worship the same god. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you're, you know, an oath of the ancients that can connect you to the druid or the ranger or a Faypak warlock. Um, you've got a lot of the, some of the same fighting stuff as uh, you know as a fighter. So you know you could be like, right, we are knights together, and we will you know we will lead the charge. Because you kind of dabble in a lot of different things, that can give you a lot of hooks onto other party members, and it can I mean just like you know in real life, like hey, we've got this shared interest, we've got this shared invested you know passion, let's do that together. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's you know as I guess limited and focused as a paladin is they actually have some versatility that gives them a lot of connections to other, other classes. So uh, kind of keep, keep that in mind as you're looking to you know, expand your paladin, connect with the party, etc. Mm-hmm. That's some really good, good thinking. I've got all like as much as my initial review of the player's handbook was, eh, I'm, I'm kind of meh about the, pal- meh about the paladins. Uh, I've got ideas now. Like I kind of have concepts in my head, and I want to go out and make a paladin now. So uh, I'm going to say that this uh, this discussion is mission accomplished. If you you've won me over on paladins, nice. So, so good job. Uh, so we're over an hour into this, so I'm going to go ahead and call this the end of the episode. I want to thank our sponsor, Noble Knight. I also want to thank Ishmael. Ishmael, where should people go to find out more about you? Uh, let's see. Uh, gosh, I'm blanking right now. Uh, so uh, I'm Lorathorn Adasaril on Facebook, which I do admit is very hard to spell. But uh, yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm hanging around the the Tom Show Facebook, so people can reach me there. there uh, if they send if they send a message to the Facebook uh, page at the Tom Show, uh, I will get that. So yep. that's he, a good way. He is, he is our social media manager, so he's watching uh, watching all of those and most. Of the posts there about episodes are coming from him. Um, was it Topher who's been posting his own things as well, which is cool. Um, mm-hmm. But but all the rest of it I think is coming from Ishmael these days. So, and uh, we want to thank Jonathan. Jonathan, where can people check out more of Mister Green? Uh, so you can always follow me on Twitter, uh, John underscore M underscore Green. 
Uh, you can also find uh, some of the work that I did at Drive Through RPG, uh, Edge of the Frontier is the one that I published recently. Uh, and you can also catch me on a Performance Check, which is an upcoming show that will be appearing on the Tome Show Network. Uh, yeah, hopefully, this should be coming up any day now. Yeah, say, by the time this episode comes out, there's probably at least one, if not two, episodes already out. So yeah. pe- people should definitely check that out. I'm looking forward to, to, to seeing what people have to say about it. So I also want to thank all of you out there listening for supporting the show by shopping on our affiliate links over at Amazon and DMs Guild or being a patron over at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. If you want to get a hold of me, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com, call the biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME, 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. You can tweet me. I am at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. I also monitor the uh, Twitter account for the um, for the show, so at the Tome Show uh, also is something that I will bump into. Uh, and we're gonna call this the end of episode 285, where we answered the call of a higher power in this episode of the Tome. I'm off the wall.